Today is November 15, 2018, and this is another National Creditors Bar Association Creditors' Rights In-Depth Podcast. Today's topic is, what is law practice management consulting? Is your firm struggling to keep up with technology, modernize your marketing and strategies, and make more money while collecting less? Well, today's podcast is for you, and today we are joined by Jared Correa. Uh, he is the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting. Uh, which offers a subscription-based law firm business management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and corporations. NCBA is proud to be partnering with Red Cave Law Firm Consulting uh, in its practice management consulting area, and we're looking to hear some more information in terms of what are some of the common issues that firms are struggling and facing uh, these days. Jared, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, Mark, thanks, and I appreciate you having me on. I really enjoy working with you guys. Excellent. Well, we enjoy uh, the partnership and having you on board with us. Uh, so let's launch into it. You know, when we talk about law practice management consulting, um, first of all, what is it? Uh, for those of, you know, <laughs> listeners who are on here in terms of, you know, what that whole issue is, and then how long have you been doing it? Oh, yeah. Uh, great question. Um Law practice management consulting, like simply understood, is business management consulting for lawyers. And that sounds easier than this because, as you know and as lawyers know, there's a lot of things that are different about running a law practice than there is about, like, running a car wash or a general business. Lawyers have ethics rules that they have to adhere to. Lawyers have to keep their uh, clients' confidences strictly. Um, lawyers can do less than many business owners can do in terms of marketing their practices. So it's really a unique field. And in terms of, like, the work that I do with clients, it's mostly focused on technology management, marketing, and financial management. And on the finance end, then you've got uh, trust accounting rules and all these other financial uh, rules that lawyers have to adhere to. So it's, it's a tough thing to do. So engaging somebody to help you with your business, and I essentially operate as a business coach, is a helpful thing to do. So I've been doing this for over a decade. Um, I started out by working for the state of Massachusetts. I was an official consultant with their state Supreme Court. We had a service that we would provide to barred lawyers in Massachusetts. And about three years ago, I started my own consulting firm, and now I'm working with people uh, nationally and internationally. And the reason I did it was because I wanted to set up a different kind of model than we used in the state, which is kind of triage-based. I want to be able to work with people a little bit more closely for a little bit longer period of time, and so I decided to set up this subscription model. Excellent. So I know that, you know, in terms of whatever industry, you know, technology is the, the name of the game and the Achilles heel for, for many businesses, whether you're small or large, and particularly for law firms and other kind of professional services firms. But uh, I know also for creditors' rights attorneys' firms, because of the, the type of work that, you know, they're doing with financial services and things like that, technology is a, a huge and major part. What are some of the major technology struggles that law firms like our, our NCBA members might be uh, dealing with and trying to overcome that you're seeing? Yeah, and you make a good point there as well. That for a lot of lawyers, it's not just about using technology to become more efficient. I mean, that's part of it. But part of it is using technology to make sure you meet your obligations, especially those surrounding data security. And so a lot of the law firms I talk to about technology, one of the major issues they have is, is my data secure in the first instance? And then is my data secure as far as a state board of ethics would view it? And that's one of the questions I address with attorneys on a regular basis, like not only maintaining data but keeping it secure. Um, 
the other thing I see regularly is law firms trying to get into the cloud. So you still see a lot of law firms with premise-based software. A lot of law firms have servers. I get calls from law firms who say, my server just uh, is not working anymore. What do I do? <clears throat> and that's sometimes the impetus for a law firm to get into the cloud. But sometimes attorneys just want to modernize. They want to be able to share information more easily. So using cloud-based services is a good way to do that. So essentially what I do with those firms is kind of convert what they're doing uh, basically build out a new technology infrastructure for them in the cloud. And that's been really helpful for a lot of law firms. And again, that security issue is there as well. So you want to be in the cloud, but you want to be able to do it securely. And that's what I talk with a lot of law firms about. Um, the third piece I'll talk about is payment processing, actually. So I'm working with a lot of law firms on payment processing so that, especially collection firms like if you want to be a collection firm, you should have your own collection house in order, I would imagine. <laughs> so one thing that you can do is collect uh, money electronically, which has been shown to be faster, and you get paid more if you do it that way. So I'm moving a lot of law firms right now to e-payment platforms. And there's some ethical issues involved in that, but those are all uh, able to be remedied if you use the right provider. So those are three categories, really, where I work with firms on technology making sure that they secure their data correctly, making sure that they can get into the cloud safely, and then figuring out different payment modules that have more viability in the modern financial landscape. Sure, and I, I'm sure that you're seeing uh, in terms of at least uh, the number of issues that have come around relative to data breaches and data privatization, uh, especially <laughs> yep. with GDPR and all those other things that you know, yeah. are on the other side of the pond, but obviously creeping their way uh, back this way instead of the reverse situation that those are some of the other issues that are, are adding to the uh what I would call technology struggles for many firms who probably have, you know, not thought about some of those issues in the past. No. Now, totally now are forced to almost And when I used to work in Massachusetts they had uh, and still have one of the strictest data security uh rules in the country. So I sort of made myself an expert in that. And I try to work backwards with attorneys in other states and kind of say, Look here are the rules in Massachusetts which are really strict if you can meet these or come close to meeting those, you should be all right in your home state. Excellent. Excellent. So let's shift gears a little bit off the technology and talk about something uh, particularly as I've uh, watched uh, our professional services uh, firms uh, in this particular industry uh, look at trying to, to market themselves as well as then uh, sort of compare them to other areas of uh, law practice and how, how they go about marketing their businesses. What are some of the changes that, that you're seeing among law firms in terms of things that, that they can do or they're facing about modernizing their own marketing strategies and, and how they're getting uh, themselves as businesses out there? They're, uh, I always appreciate the fact that professionals uh, are very, very good at what they do in terms of their profession. And then when we look yeah. at the business side of it, uh, that seems to be the, the challenge because nobody prepared themselves to necessarily be a business person and a professional attorney or doctor or dentist within that. So what are you seeing relative to some of those changes that, that are coming down the line or that you're dealing with in terms of law firms oh, yeah. and marketing strategies? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that, and that's why I'm here. So the market is, like, a lot different than it used to be, and I think attorneys end up being very reactive as far as this is concerned. So they respond to market pressures rather than proactively dealing with them. And so there's this book called The E-Myth, that has been out for a while now, and it's a fairly popular business management book. Sure. There's the Mike, notion uh, Mike, there. Mike, Michael Gerber? That, yeah. That did that. yeah. Yeah, okay. 
then there's a notion there that you do two things with your business, like you're working on your business and you're working in your business. And most lawyers are really good at working in their business. They do a lot of substantive work, but they're not so great at working on their business, which is kind of revising the way your business runs, which necessarily happens over time. So a couple things I've seen is that lawyers have started to move away a little bit from hourly billing because of client-based pressures. So there are more attorneys than ever before. Uh, there's more information online about legal services than ever before. So clients have a choice, and clients are willing to access that choice. So the problem with hourly billing is that clients get these gigantic bills, and they say, where's the value there? So if you're going to bill hourly, there are things that you can do to make the value proposition more readily apparent to your clients. And if you've got clients who don't want to do the hourly billing thing, you have the opportunity to do alternative billing and to say to your clients, okay, like, here's what I'm going to charge you. <clears throat> and I'm not just going to charge you hourly billing into perpetuity. Like, clients get very nervous when there's no cap on things. So I see law firms moving to things like subscription-based legal services, limited scope legal services, alternative billing models, which is really interesting. And all that stuff can be very effectively supported by e-payments. Um, the other thing I see is on the engagement side. So there are studies out there that indicate that if a client or a potential client comes to a law firm, 90% of the time they're going to choose the law firm that gives them the first affirmative response. So that's a crazy statistic because you don't have to do anything else other than respond to somebody who contacts you. And so a response is some level of engagement. So it's not necessarily having a contact form on your website where somebody has to wait to hear back from you. It's not necessarily having a voicemail. It's using a virtual receptionist service and having somebody be able to pick up a call and answer that client. Even if it's not substantive advice, somebody talking to them. It's potentially right. about having a chat bot on your website so you can engage with someone specifically on that. It's about having potentially a text responder that goes out to clients who are texting you. So think about as a law firm, <coughs> excuse me, the ways that you can engage clients so that the first time somebody comes to your website, they have some kind of affirmative response from you because if they're not getting it from you, they're going to go get it from somebody else and that's ultimately the firm they're going to choose. So two of the big things I see in terms of marketing is like making sure that your payment structure fits the market or that you explain the traditional payment structure in a way that presents value to the client and then also making sure that you're engaging people effectively online, which most law firms don't do. That's, yeah, it's. Uh, I remember when I first uh, been in the nonprofit management side for a long time, and then when I came over um, to uh, the NCBA and uh, the legal industry was um, an area that I had not had spent a, a significant amount of time in, and so mm -hmm. I was. Uh, very interested to see sort of where the progression in terms of some of the changes are. And it was almost akin to some of the things that I saw in nonprofits where you were a little bit behind the curve sometimes in terms of, you know, some of the the, the changes that that are going on out there. But uh, it's – I, I love yeah, to see it. doctors. <laughs> yeah, I love to see it, though, when when firms and attorneys embrace some of the uh, the changes that, that can make them that much more successful as business owners, too. So yeah, speaking of that, though, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, um, law firms and wanting to make more money, um, you know, while they're collecting less, what are some of the, the tips or things that, that you think uh, our listeners ought to be thinking about relative to, to that whole scenario in terms of sort of uh, their whole financial situation? 
Yeah, so, I mean, as you probably guessed, I talk about revenue a lot because it's at the top of mind for most attorneys. And it's kind of like a through line of everything we've been talking about. <laughs> so one of the reasons you use technology effectively is that you can become a more appealing option to clients. One of the reasons that you're able to communicate fees effectively is because you want to get paid more. <laughs> so people have to be comfortable with what they're paying you. But in terms of revenue, like, a lot of attorneys don't spend enough time, and a lot of law firms don't spend enough time paying attention to those things. Um, I have uh, many conversations with law firms about budgeting, and I say, you know, what's your overhead? What's your budget? And many of them don't even track it. Um, I ask law firms, you know, what's your accounts receivable looking like? They don't know. <laughs> like we just talked about, if you have online payments or e-payments available to you, and you're taking payments by a credit card, one of the advantages of that is stepping out of the role of creditor and just having clients pay you and having the credit card company deal with any collection issues, and that's going to reduce your collections overall. But I think two of the most important things that law firms should do in terms of financing is, one, have a process in place, like how do you collect money? <laughs> what does that workflow look like? Um, how do you get paid? And if you don't get paid, what do you do? Like, usually there's no structure around that. And if you look at the statistics, like, if you don't get paid by a client within 30 days, the chances of you actually collecting that money just plummets. So, essentially, if you're getting paid later than 30 days, you're getting very lucky and you're bucking the trend. So, you want to make sure that you stay on top of your accounts receivable, stay on top of your collections. And the other things for attorneys that take retainers, it's extremely important to make sure that you understand your trust accounting rules in your particular state. And many attorneys don't understand that. Or the other issue is that they're working with accountants to understand it. So I do a lot of education of attorneys. I do a lot of education of accountants that work with attorneys about, like, the trust accounting that they need to be doing and the reports that they need to be creating. <laughs> but probably the two most important things for attorneys is making sure that you get your trust accounting done correctly because that's a super easy way to get in trouble with your state ethics board. And you also want to be making sure on the business side that you're making your collections because if you're not, you're highly unlikely to get paid. So have a system in place or strive to eliminate uh, funds you have to collect in the first place. Excellent. So we're nearing the end here. And if you had uh, something, the the one key thing you'd want our listeners to take away from today's podcast, what would that be? All right, so here's, here's one thing I didn't talk about, but it relates to everything we've been discussing, which is that clients need to feel comfortable with you. So one of the best tips I can tell to attorneys is part of the issue with law firms is they take on a client, and then the client never hears from them for like six months. <coughs> Lawyers are very bad at that. So they work very hard to get the fee agreement. They work very hard to get paid. And then clients who may have never had any experience with the legal industry before are just like, okay, what happens now? And the next time they hear from their lawyer is six months later. So I tell attorneys that you should follow up with your clients at least every six weeks if it's an active client. And that could be a phone call. That could be an email. But just get in touch with them in some way. And what you want to do is say, just checking in. I don't necessarily need anything from you, but I just want to see how everything's going. You can even say, hey, uh, how's your daughter's soccer team? I know you coach the soccer team. How's that going? And that makes clients feel cared for. And also it's a malpractice avoidance technique because it forces you to take a brief look at the case where it stands. And it also forces you to be in touch with your clients. So if they have an update that's important that they maybe forgot to share with you, it gives them an opportunity to do it. So doing that 
in conjunction with all the other things I talked about, will put you more in touch with your client, will make you more efficient, and will generally tend to make you more money. And that's where you want to be. Excellent. Jared, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. Uh, for our listeners who are NCBA members, uh, if you're looking for more information on law firm consulting, uh, go to the uh, members-only website section and check out the national partners and uh, look for Jared's information there under Red Cave Law Firm Consulting. Uh, Jared, thank you very much, and uh, I hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks. You too. Happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody. Same to you. Bye-bye.